Hello and welcome to the Mythological Africans podcast, where we read and talk about stories from African mythology and folklore. I am your host, Helen Gay. Episodes of this podcast come from live recordings of the Mythological African Storytime Sessions, which take place every Friday evening at 5 p.m. Eastern Time U.S. in the Mythological African Twitter space. In this episode, we'll explore folklore from Zanzibar. All right, so I shared a link to the book we're reading from, and this one's a little different. Um, so I, I was taking a look at where we've been, like we've been all over South Africa, it sounded like, and of course, we spent a lot of time in West Africa, and we've spent some time in Central Africa, East Africa, we've had uh, stories from Kenya, and I believe maybe one story from Uganda, and we've gone to Ethiopia, we've been to the northern part, you know, with Algeria, and I'm thinking, where haven't we been yet? And I saw this little book. Zanzibar Tales, and I'm thinking, yes, 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 good stuff. So we are going to spend some time in Zanzibar today. And the book is Zanzibar Tales by this guy called George Bateman. And it's another one of those cases where you have, you know, a European ethnographer or anthropologist collecting stories. So we're doing this with the understanding that these stories have been filtered through, you know, whatever filters they had going on but it would still be i think it'll be interesting to see what you know stories from zanzibar sound like i was just reading up a little bit about um, the demographic uh, makeup of zanzibar it seems like um swahili is the language that is spoken um, by the majority of the people there um and uh the majority of the people who inhabit Zanzibar right now are the Swahili people, or the ethnic group is Swahili. Um, but there's also a good number of uh, people of Arabian, of Arab descent, um, Persian, Somali, and Indian people. So these stories that we're going to read today were collected. I'm trying to make sure I can read here. These stories were collected. Not recently, obviously. Um, and I'm coming in with the caveat that, so this was published in 1901. So, and they were translated from Swahili by George Bateman. And so I'm coming in with the caveat that we are all experiencing these stories, you know, for the first time together. So my apologies in advance if things go sideways. Um, but I'll, I'll be keeping an eye out for them. So we have a couple of options to explore today. And let's see. There is the usual animal tales. So the hare and the lion, the lion, the hyena and the rabbit, the kites and the crows. Then you have human stories. Go to the teacher, the magician and the sultan's son, which I think... Um, we are going to read today, definitely, The Magician and the Sultan's Son. There's also The Physician's, Physician's Son and the King of the Snakes, which, you know, if we have time, we're going to delve into as well. So um, 
it's three of us in here, which is a good enough number for me, especially since we're recording and this is going to be available. So we are going to go ahead and start, if that's okay with you all. Perfect. All right, so we are starting with The Magician and the Sultan's Son, and that's on page 183 of Zanzibar Tales, towards the end of the book there. So The Magician and the Sultan's Son. It's taking a bit of time to load here. And oh yeah, it looks like we have a few new people in the room. So welcome, um, mythological Africans. We get together twice a week to read folk tales from across the African continent and talk about them. Um, we are reading stories from Zanzibar today. And in this space, I have shared uh, the cover of the book we're reading from, as well as the link to the book, which you can access online. And what I am looking for in these discussions, um, of course, we enjoy the stories. But I'm also interested in hearing if you are familiar with a similar story from whatever folkloric tradition that you're familiar with. And then if there's anything that stood out to you from the story, um, I'd love to hear that as well. So we are starting with The Magician and the Sultan's Son. And here we go. Here we go. If this would just load up for me. All right. So there was once a sultan who had three little sons. And no one seemed to be able to teach them anything, which greatly grieved the sultan and his wife. One day a magician came to the sultan and said, If I take your three boys and teach them to read and write and make great scholars of them, what will you give me? And the sultan said, I will give you half of my property. No, said the magician, that won't do. I'll give you half of the towns I own. No, that will not satisfy me. What do you want then, asked the sultan. When I have made them scholars and bring them back to you, choose two of them for yourself and give me the third, for I want to have a companion of my own. Agreed, said the sultan. And so the magician took the sons away and in a remarkably short time taught them to read, to make letters and made them quite good scholars. Then he took them back to the sultan and said, Here, here are your children. They are all equally good scholars. Choose. And so the sultan took the two he preferred, and the magician went away with the third, whose name was Kijana, to his own house, which was a very large one. When they arrived, Nchawi, the magician, gave the youth all the keys, saying, Open whatever you wish to. Then he told him that he was his father, and that he was going away for a month. When he was gone, Kijana took the keys and went to examine the house. He opened one door and saw a room full of liquid gold. He put his finger in and the gold stuck to it, and wipe rub as he would, the gold would not come off. So he wrapped a piece of rag around it, and when his supposed father came home and saw the rag and asked him what he had been doing to his finger, he was afraid to tell him the truth, so he said he had cut it. Not very long after, Mchawi went away again, and the youth took the keys and continued his investigations. The first room he opened was filled with the bones of goats, the next with sheep bones, the next with the bones of oxen, the fourth with the bones of donkeys, the fifth with those of horses, the sixth contained men's skulls, and in the seventh, a live horse. Hello, said the horse. Where do you come from, you son of Adam? 
This is my father's house, Kijana said. Oh, indeed, was the reply. Well, you've got a pretty nice parent. Do you know that he occupies himself with eating people and donkeys and horses and oxen and goats and everything he can lay his hands on? You and I are the only living things left. This scared the youth pretty badly, and he faltered. What are we to do, he said. What's your name, said the horse. Kijana, the boy replied. Well, I am Farasi. Now, Kijana, first of all, come and unfasten me. The youth did so at once. Now then, open the door of the room with the gold in it, and I will swallow it all. Then I'll go and wait for you under the big tree down the road a little way. When the magician comes home, he will say to you, let us go for firewood. Then you answer, I don't understand that work, and he will go by himself. When he comes back, he will put a great big pot on the hook and will tell you to make a fire under it. Tell him you don't know how to make a fire and he will make it himself. Then he will bring a large quantity of butter and while it is getting hot, he will put up a swing and say to you, get up there and I'll swing you. But you tell him you have never played that game and ask him to swing first, then you may see how it is done. Then he will get up to show you and you must push him into the big pot, then come to see me as quickly as you can. Having said this, the horse went away. Now Chawi had invited some of his friends to a feast at his house that evening. So returning home early, he said to Kijana, Let us go for firewood. But the youth answered, I don't understand that work. So he went by himself and brought the wood. Then he hung up the big pot and said, Light the fire. But the youth said, I don't know how to do it. So the magician laid the wood under the pot and lighted it himself. Then he said, Put all that butter in the pot. But the youth answered, I can't lift it. I'm not strong enough. So Mchawi put the butter in himself. And then he said, have you seen our country game? Kijana answered, I think not. Well, Mchawi said, let's play at it while the butter is getting hot. So he tied up the swing and said to Kijana, get up here and learn the game. But the youth said, well, you get up first and show me. I'll learn quicker that way. So the magician got into the swing and just as he got started, Kijana gave him a push right into the big pot. And as the butter was by this time boiling, it not only killed him, but cooked him also. As soon as the youth had pushed the magician into the big pot, he ran as fast as he could to the big tree where the horse was waiting for him. Come on, Pharisee said, jump on my back and let's get going. And so he mounted and they started off. When the magician's guests arrived, they looked everywhere for him, but of course they could not find him. Then after waiting a while, they began to be very hungry. So looking around for something to eat, they saw the stew in the big pot and they saw that it was done. Let's begin anyway, they said to each other. So they started in and ate the entire contents of the pot. After they had finished, they searched from Chawi again and finding lots of provisions in the house, they thought they would stay there until he came. But they had, after they had waited a couple of days and eaten all the food in the place, they gave up and returned to their homes. Meanwhile, Kijana and the horse continued on their way until they had gone a great distance. Then at last they stopped near a large town. Let us stay here, said the youth, and build a house. As far as he was agreeable, they did so. The horse coughed up all the gold he had swallowed, which they used to purchase slaves and cattle and everything they needed. When the people of the town saw the beautiful new house and all the slaves and cattle and riches it contained, they went and told their sultan, who had once made up his mind, that the owner of such a place must be of sufficient importance to be visited and taken notice of as an acquisition to the neighborhood. So he called on Kijana and, and inquired who he was. 
Oh, I'm just an ordinary being like other people, Kijana replied. Are you a traveler? The sultan asked. Well, I have been, but I like this place. I think I'll settle down here. Why don't you come and walk in our town? The sultan invited. I would like to very much, Kijana replied, but I need someone to show me around. Oh, I'll show you around, said the sultan eagerly, for he was quite taken with the young man. After this, Kijana and the sultan became great friends, and in the course of time, the young man married the sultan's daughter, and they had one son, and they lived happily together, and Kijana loved Farsi as his own soul. Now, how was that? I'm sorry. Did he did he marry his own sister? Um, I don't think that the sultan was his father. I think this was a different different sultan because I, I I was thinking that was what was going to happen too. That you know this it would turn out that he was his father, but I think this was a a different different place, different sultan. So yeah, that would that would add an extra layer of weirdness, huh? <laughs> but yeah. So what what something I found um, interesting about this story is, you know, you read a story and it really just makes sense how the story comes together because we were just talking about the demographic makeup of the islands of Zanzibar, and you know we are hearing about the Sultan and that that Islamic influence seems to be very strong there, um, but outside of that, you know, it it's really don't play favorites with your kids, right? If if we're gonna pull a lesson out of this, but good thing for the the young man, he found a way to slip out of this sticky, sticky, sticky situation. Does this sound similar to any folk tales that any of you know? Part where he's cooked, he accidentally quote accidentally cooked the magician sounds a little like Hansel and Gretel. Where he was, uh, you know, they they put her in the oven to get her away. They accidentally baked her to get away from her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. True, true, true. Very true there. You know, I, I, I have to admit, I was a bit, you know, taken by surprise. I was expecting that this magician would not turn out to be evil. Um, but, yeah. That that kind of came out of the left field. Anything else stand out to anyone? Well, was he evil? We didn't get to see if he had true evil intent towards the boy. Well, I mean, it sounded like he was trying to cook him up in a pot of butter. Yeah, yeah? but... Yeah. I was hoping there, too. I gotta say, I was hoping that maybe the horse was a trickster, yeah. you know, but it seemed like the horse just saved, saved that poor little boy's life anyway so anybody down for another story we have quite a bit of time so we can try maybe the physician's son and the king of the snakes do a couple more human stories and then we'll look at the animal stories and see if they're similar to any of the others um i'm curious about this story about the hare and the lion so but let's do the physician's son and the king of the snakes so once there was a very learned physician who died leaving his wife with a little baby boy whom when he was old enough she named according to his father's wish 
She named him Hasibo Karim Eddin. When the boy had been to school and had learned to read, his mother sent him to a tailor to learn his trade, but he could not learn it. Then he was sent to a silversmith, but he could not learn his trade either. After that, he tried many trades, but could not learn none of them. At last, his mother said, well, stay at home for a while, and that seemed to suit him. One day, he asked his mother what his father's business had been, and she told him he had been a great physician. Where are his books? The little boy asked. Well, it's been a long time since I saw them, replied his mother, but I think they are behind there. Look and see. So he hunted around a little and at last found them, but they were almost ruined by insects, so he gained very little from them. At last, four of the neighbors came to his mother and said, Let your boy go along with us and cut wood in the forest. It was their business to cut wood, load it on donkeys, and sell it in the town for making fires. All right, she said. Tomorrow, I'll buy him a donkey and he can start fair with you. So the next day, Hasibu, with his donkey, set off with those four persons. And they worked very hard and made a lot of money that day. This continued for six days. But on the seventh day, it rained heavily and they had to get under the rocks to keep dry. Now Hasibo sat in a place by himself and having nothing else to do, he picked up a stone and began knocking on the ground with it. To his surprise, the ground gave forth a hollow sound and he called to his companion saying, there seems to be a hole under here. Upon hearing him knock again, they decided to dig and see what was the cause of the hollow sound, and they had not gone very deep before they broke into a large pit, like a well which was filled to the top with honey. They didn't do any firewood chopping after that, but they devoted their entire attention to the collection and sale of honey. With a view to getting it out as quickly as possible, they told Hasibo to go down into the pit and dip out the honey while they put it in vessels and took it to, to town for sale. They worked for three days, making a great deal of money. At last, there was only a little honey left at the very bottom of the pit, and they told the boy to scrape that together while they went to get a rope to haul him out. But instead of getting the rope, they decided to let him remain in the pit and divide the money amongst themselves. So when he had gathered the remainder of the honey together and called for the rope, he received no answer. And after that, he had been alone. After that, he was in the pit for three days. And then he was convinced that his companions had deserted him. But his companions went to his mother and told her that they had become separated in the forest and that they had heard a lion roaring and that they could find no trace of either her son or his donkey. Hasibo's mother cried, of course. She cried very much and the four neighbors pocketed her son's share of the money. Hasibo passed time walking about the pit, wondering what the end would be, eating scraps of honey, sleeping a little and sitting down to think. While engaged in the last occupation on the fourth day, he saw a scorpion fall to the ground, a large one too. He killed it. And then suddenly he thought to himself, where did that scorpion come from? There must be a hole somewhere. I'll search. So he searched around until he saw light through a tiny crack and he took his knife and scooped and scooped until he had made a big enough hole to pass through. And he went out and came upon a place he had never seen before. Seeing a path, he followed it until he came to a very large house, the door of which was not fastened. So he went inside and saw golden doors with golden locks and keys of pearl and beautiful chairs inlaid with jewels and precious stones. And in a reception room, he saw a couch covered with a splendid spread upon which he lay down. Presently, he found himself being lifted off the couch and put in a chair. And he heard someone saying, do not hurt him, wake him gently. 
and upon opening his eyes, he found himself surrounded by a number of snakes, one of them wearing beautiful royal colors. Hello, he cried. Who are you? I am Sultan Iwa Nyoka, king of the snakes, and this is my house. Who are you? I am Hasibo Karim Eddin. Where do you come from? I don't know where I come from or where I'm going. Well, don't bother yourself just now. Let's eat. I guess you're hungry. I know I am. And so the king gave orders and some of the other snakes brought the finest fruits and they ate and drank and conversed. When the repast was ended, the king desired to hear Hasibo's story. So he told him all that had happened and then asked to hear the story of his host. Well, said the king of snakes, mine is a rather long story, but you shall hear it. A long time ago, I left this place to go and live in the mountains of Al-Kaf for the change of air. One day I saw a stranger coming along and I said to him, where are you from? And he said, I am wandering in the wilderness. Whose son are you? I asked. My name is Bolukia. My father was a sultan, and when he died, I opened a small chest inside of which I found a bag, which contained a small brass box. And when I had opened this, I found some writing tied up in a woolen cloth, and it was all in praise of a prophet. He was described as such a good and wonderful man that I longed to see him. But when I made inquiries concerning him, I was told he was not yet born. So I vowed I would wander until I should see him. So I left our town and all my property, and I am wandering, but I have not yet seen that prophet. Then I said to him, Why do you expect to find him if he is not yet born? Perhaps if you had some serpent's water, you might keep on living until you find him. But it's of no use talking about that. The serpent's water is too far away. Well, he said, Goodbye. I must wander on. So I bade him farewell, and he went his way. Now when that man had wandered until he reached Egypt, he met another man who asked him, Who are you? I am Bolukia. Who are you? My name is Alfan. Where are you going? I have left my home and my property and I am seeking the prophet. Hmm, Alfan said. I can tell you of a better occupation than looking for a man that's not yet born. Let us go and find the king of the snakes and get him to give us a charm medicine. Then we will go to King Solomon and get his rings and then we shall be able to make slaves of the genii. The Jenny ordered them to do whatever we wish and have what we want. And Bolokia said, I have seen the king of the snakes in the mountain of Al-Kaf. All right, Alfan, let's go. All right, Alfan said, let's go. Now Alfan wanted the ring of Solomon that he might be a great magician and control the genie and the birds, while all Bolokia wanted was to see the great prophet. As they went along, Alfan said to Bolokia, let us make a cage and entice the king of snakes into it. Then we will shut the door and carry him off. All right, said Bolokia. So they made a cage and put therein a cup of milk and a cup of wine and brought it to Alkaf. And I, like a fool, went in, drank up all the wine and became drunk. Then they fastened the door and took me away with them. When I came to my senses, I found myself in the cage and Bolokia carrying me. And I said, the sons of Adam are no good. Why do you, what do you want from me? And they answered, we want some medicine to put on our feet so that we may walk upon the water whenever it is necessary in the course of our journey. Well, said I, go along. And so we went on until we came to a place where there was a great number and variety of trees. And when those trees saw me, they said, I am medicine for this. I am medicine for that. I am medicine for the head. I am medicine for the feet. And presently one tree said, if anyone puts my medicine upon his feet, he can walk on water. When I told that to those men, they said, that is what we want. And so they took a great deal of it. 
Then they took me back to the mountain and set me free, and we said goodbye and parted. When they left me, they went on their way until they reached the sea, when they put the medicine on their feet and walked over. Thus they went many days until they came near the place of King Solomon, where they waited while Alphan prepared his medicines. When they arrived at King Solomon's place, he was sleeping and was being watched by Jenny, and his hand lay on his chest with the ring on his finger. As Bogokia drew near, one of the genies said to him, Where are you going? And he answered, I am here with Alphan. He's going to take that ring. Go back, said the genie. Keep out of the way. That man is going to die. When Alphan had finished his preparations, he said to Bolokia, Wait here, wait here for me. Then he went forward to take the ring. A great cry arose, and he was thrown by some unseen force a considerable distance. Picking himself up and still believing in the power of his medicines, he approached the ring again, when a strong breath blew upon him and he was burned to ashes in a moment. While Bolokia was looking at all this, a voice said to him, Go your way, this wretched being is dead. So he returned, and when he got to the sea, again he put the medicine on his feet and passed over, and continued to wander for many years. But one morning he saw a man sitting down, and said to him, Good morning, to which the man replied. Then Bolokia asked him, Who are you? And the man answered, my name is Jan Shah. Who are you? So Bolokia told him who he was and asked him to tell him his history. The man who was weeping and smiling by turns insisted upon hearing Bolokia's story first. After he had heard it, he said, Well, sit down. I'll tell you my story from beginning to end. My name is Jan Shah, and my father is Tua Giamos, a great sultan. He used to go every day into the forest to shoot game. So one day I said to him, Father, let me go with you into the forest today. But he said, stay at home. You are better there. And I cried bitterly, and as I was his only child, whom he loved dearly. He couldn't stand my tears, so he said, very well, you shall go. Don't cry. Thus we went into the forest and took many attendants with us. And when we reached the place, we ate and drank, and then everyone set out to hunt. I and my seven slaves went on until we saw a beautiful gazelle, which we chased as far as the sea without capturing it. When the gazelle took to the water, I and four of my slaves took a boat, and the other three returned to my father. We chased that gazelle until we lost sight of the shore, but we caught it and killed it. Just then, a great wind began to blow, and we lost our way. When the three other slaves came to my father, he asked them, Where is your master? And they told him about the gazelle and the boat. Then he cried, my son is lost, my son is lost, and he returned to the town and mourned for me as if I was dead. After a time, we came to an island where there was a great many birds. We found fruit and water. We ate and drank, and at night we climbed into a tree and slept till morning. Then we rode to a second island, and seeing no one around, we gathered fruit, ate and drank, and climbed the tree as before. But during the night, we heard many savage beasts howling and roaring near us. In the morning, we got away as soon as possible and came to a third island. Looking around for food, we saw a tree full of fruit, like red streaked apples. But as we were about to pick some, we heard a voice that said, Don't touch this tree. It belongs to the king. And towards night, a number of monkeys came, who seemed much pleased to see us. And they brought us all the fruit we could eat. And presently, I heard one of them say, Let us make this man our sultan. Then the other one said, What's the use? They all run away in the morning, but the third one said, not if we smash their boat. And sure enough, when we started to leave in the morning, our boat was broken to pieces. 
So there was nothing for it but to stay there and be entertained by the monkeys, who seemed to like us very much. So one day we were strolling about and I came upon a great stone house having an inscription on the door which said, When any man comes to this island, he will find it difficult to leave because the monkeys desire to have a man for their king. If he looks for a way to escape, he will think there is none, but there is one outlet which lies to the north. If you go in that direction, you will come to a great plain, which is infested with lions and leopards and snakes. You must fight all of them, and if you overcome them, you can go forward. You will then come to another great plain, inhabited by ants as big as dogs, their teeth like those of dogs, and they are very fierce. You must fight these also, and if you overcome them, the rest of the way is clear. I consulted my attendants over this information, and we came to the conclusion that as we could only die anyhow, we might as well risk our death to gain our freedom. As we all had weapons, we set forth, and when we came to the first plane, we fought and two of my slaves were killed. Then we went on to the second plane and fought again. My other two slaves were killed and I alone escaped. After that, I wandered on for many days, living on whatever I could find, until at last I came to a town where I stayed for some time, looking for employment but finding none. And then one day a man came up to me and said, Are you looking for work? I am, I said. Come with me then, he said. And we went to his house. When we got there, he produced a camel skin and said, I shall put you in this skin, and a great bird will carry you to the top of yonder mountains. When he gets there, he will tear the skin off you. You must then drive him away and push down the precious stones you will find there. When they are all down, I will get you down. So he put me in the skin, and the bird carried me to the top of the mountain, and was about to eat me when I jumped up and scared him away and then pushed down as many precious stones as I could. Then I called down to the man to take me down, but he never answered me. He went away with the precious stones. I gave myself up for a dead man, but went wandering about until at last, after passing many days in a great forest, I came to a house all by itself. The old man who lived in it gave me food and drink, and I was revived. I remained there a long time, a long, long, long time, and that old man loved me as if I were his own son. One day he went away, giving me the keys, and told me I could open the door of every room except one which he pointed out to me. Of course, when he was gone, this was the first door I opened, and I saw a large garden through which a stream flowed. Just then three birds came and alighted by the side of the stream. Immediately, they changed into three most beautiful women. When they had finished bathing, they put on their clothes, and as I stood there watching them, they changed into birds again and flew away. I locked the door and went away. But my appetite was gone. I wandered about aimlessly. When the old man came back, he saw me there and asked. When the old man came back, he saw me there and knew something was wrong with me. So he asked me what was the matter. Then I told him I had seen those beautiful maidens and that I loved one of them very much and that if I could not marry her, I would die. The old man told me I could not possibly have my wish. He said the three lovely beings were daughters of the sultan of the genie and that their home was a journey of three years from which, from where we were. I told him I couldn't help that. He must get her for my wife, or I should die. And so at last he said, well, wait till they come again, then hide yourself, and steal the clothes of the one you love so dearly. So I waited, and when they came, I stole the clothes of the youngest, whose name was Sayadati Shems. When they came out of the water, this one could not find her clothes. Then I stepped forward and said, I have them. Ah, she begged, give them to me. I want to go away. 
But I said to her, I love you very much. I want to marry you. I want to go to my father, she replied. You cannot go, I said. And so her sisters flew away and I took her into the house where the old man married us. He told me not to give her those clothes I had taken, but to hide them because if she ever got them, she would fly away to her old home. So I dug a hole in the ground and buried them. But one day when I was away from home, she dug them up, put them on, and then saying to the slave I had given her for an attendant, when your master returns, tell him I have gone home, and if he really loves me, he will follow me. She flew away. When I came home, they told me this, and I wandered, searching for her many years. At last I came to a town where one asked me, who are you? And I answered, I am Jan Shah. What was your father's name? T. Gamus. Are you the man who married our mistress? Who is your mistress? Sayadati Shems. I am he, I cried with delight. So they took me to their mistress, and she brought me to her father and told him that I was a husband. And everybody was happy. Then we thought we should go to visit our old home, and her father's journey carried us there in three days. We stayed there a year and then returned, but in a short time, my wife died. Her father tried to comfort me and wanted me to marry another one of his daughters, but I refused to be comforted, and I have mourned to this day. That is my story. Then Bolokia went on his way and wandered until his die. Next, Sultan Iwaniyoka said to Hasibu, Now when you go home, will you do me injury? Hasibu was very indignant at the idea and said, I could not be induced to do you injury. Pray send me home. I will send you home, said the king, but I am sure that you will come back and kill me. Why, I dare not be so ungrateful, exclaimed Hasibu. I swear I could not hurt you. Well, said the king of the snakes, bed is in mine. When you go home, do not go to bathe where there are many people. I will remember, Hasibo said. So the king of snakes sent him home, and he went to his mother's house, and she was overjoyed to find that he was not dead. Now the sultan of the town was very sick, and it was decided that the only thing that could cure him would be to kill the king of the snakes, boil him, and give the soup to the sultan. For a reason known only to himself, the vizier placed men at the public baths with this instruction. If anyone who comes to bathe here has a mark on his stomach, seize him and bring him to me. And so, when Hasibo had been home three days, he forgot the warning of Sultan Iwanioka and went to bathe with other people. All of a sudden, he was seized by some soldiers and brought to the vizier who said, Take us to the home of the king of the snakes. I don't know where it is, Hasibo said. Tie him up, commanded the vizier. So they tied Hasibo up and beat him until his back was all raw, and being unable to stand the pain, he cried, Let up, let up, I will show you the place. And so he led them to the house of the king of snakes, who, when he saw him, said, Didn't I tell you you would come back to kill me? How could I help it, cried Hasibo. Look at my back. Who has beaten you so dreadfully, asked the king. The vizier, Hasibo replied. Then there is no hope for me but you must carry me yourself. And so as they went along, the king said to Hasibo, When we get to your town, I shall be killed and cooked. The first scheming the vizier would offer to you, but don't you drink it, put it in a bottle and keep it. The second scheming, you must drink, and you will become a great physician. The third scheming is a medicine that will cure your sultan. When the vizier asks you if you drank the first scheming, say, I did. Then produce the bottle containing the first and say, This is the second and it is for you. The vizier will take it and as soon as he drinks it he will die and both of us will have our revenge.
Everything happened as the king of the snakes did. The vizier died, the sultan recovered, and Hasibu was lauded by all as a great physician. So this one meandered around the place a little bit, but quite an adventure there, wasn't it? What what I found was interesting here was the the repeat of that theme of, you know, women bathing and shedding their skin and a man stealing the skin and forcing the woman to stay with them. That's that's a, a theme that shows up in many 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 folktales. Um, not just across the continent, but across the world. Did did anything else stand out to anyone? Again, the snake is the source of great wisdom. Like a story we mm-hmm. went last last week. Right, right. And I would love to know what that seemed a little too detailed that there wasn't some hidden symbolism or whoever told mm-hmm. the story had a lot of inspiration around them. Right. And that's, that's something that struck me too about, about this story. There were, there were some parts that got, you know, really, 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 really detailed. And you, you can't help thinking what's really being said here, but you know, we don't speak Swahili, unfortunately, and we don't have the original Swahili uh, translation or the context for it. So we are going to have to wonder about this. As I was reading this, though, I kept thinking, what a fantastic story this would make, like as a Disney production. Did anybody else feel that way? It was giving very Aladdin vibes, you know, adventure, you know, Jenny and princesses. It's just when when I look at the story and some of the themes, it it would have to be adjusted quite a bit because just a few things don't don't gel with the what's the word the the suggests of the of of the times we're in now. You know, forcing people to do things against their will and stuff like that. But it it seems like one of those grand adventure stories which would translate very well to like a, a cartoon adaptation. So anyway, um, we are right around two, which is usually our time to end for the day. But I find that I'm quite enjoying these stories. Um, I don't know if it's the same for anybody else, but, you know, this being Zanzibar and, you know, if you have any mental image of Zanzibar, this like exotic white sand, you know, beaches and stuff like that. And. I was expecting the stories to be different, which they are proving to be a little different from the stuff that we've we've read. But it's also really comforting that, you know, some of the themes are still very, very present. You know, snake as healer and possessor of wisdom, you know, women shedding skin and getting stolen, you know, the, the betrayal that shows up quite a bit in folktales and I remember one Friday evening we had one gentleman from Botswana and he was like why is betrayal always a thing in folktales but that's just messy 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 human human existence right there so anyway um how about we do one animal story and then wrap it up for the day does that sound good to everyone lovely all right so we'll do the lion, the hyena, and the rabbit. See if that aligns with a lot of the 
the animal stories that we've we've read here before. So the lion, the hyena, and the rabbit. Make sure I can get to that page. Oh, hold on, you guys. Got my page number wrong here. Lion, the hyena, and the rabbit is on page 47, not page 74. Inverting my numbers. Right, page 47. The lion, the hyena, and the rabbit. So what I'm curious here is to see if the the story aligns with other such stories that we see from um, the other parts of the continent. So the lion is this majestic beast, proud and strong, but usually can be played for a fool. And of course, the hyena is crafty, 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 um, but you know, not in the in the trickster sense, just in the you know crafty, deceptive way. And the rabbit is usually the the trickster who gets away with things and outsmarts everyone. So let's see if this is true in Zanzibar as it is in other parts of the continent, especially the southern part, right? Oh, so once upon a time, Simba, the lion, Fisi, the hyena, and Kititi, the rabbit, made up their minds to go in for a little farming. So they went into the country, made a garden, planted all kinds of seeds, and then came home and rested quite a while. Then when the time came, when their crops should be about ripe and ready for harvesting, they began to say to each other, let's go over to the farm and see how our crops are coming along. So one morning, early, they started, and as the garden was a long way off, Kitty T, the rabbit, made this proposition. While we are going to the farm, let us not stop on the road, and if anyone does stop, let him be eaten. His companions, not being so cunning as he, and knowing they could outwalk him, readily consented to this arrangement. Well, off they went, but they had not gone very far when the rabbit stopped. Hello, said Fisi the hyena. Kititi has stopped. He must be eaten. That is the bargain, agreed Simba the lion. Well, I, I happen to be thinking. What about, cried his partners with great curiosity. I'm thinking, Kititi said, with a grave philosophical air, about those two stones, one big and one little. The little one does not go up, nor does the big one go down. The lion and the hyena, having stopped to look at the stones, could only stay. Why, really, it's singular. It's just as you say. And they all resumed their journey, the rabbit being, by this time, well rested. When they had gone some distance, the rabbit stopped again. Aha, said Fisi. Kititi has stopped again. Now he must be eaten. I, I think so, Simba, the lion, agreed. Well, I was thinking, the rabbit said. And once more, their curiosity aroused. His comrades begged him to tell them what he was thinking. Why, this is what I was thinking. When people like us put on new coats, where do the old ones go? Both Simba and Fisi stopped to consider the matter and then exclaimed together, I wonder, hmm. And the three went on again, the rabbit, having once again had a good rest. After a while, the hyena, thinking it was about time to show off his little bit of philosophy, suddenly stopped. All right, all right, growled Simba, this won't do. I guess we'll have to eat you, Fisi. Oh, no, 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 said the hyena. I'm thinking. What are you thinking? 
they inquired. I'm thinking about nothing at all, said he, imagining himself very smart and witty. Oh, pshaw, cried Kitty. We won't be fooled that way. So he and Simba ate the hyena. When they had finished eating their friend, the lion and the rabbit proceeded on their way and presently came to a place where there was a cave and here the rabbit stopped. Mmm, said Simba. I'm not so hungry as I was this morning, but I guess I'll have to find room for you, little Kitty T. Oh, I believe not, replied Kitty T. I'm thinking again. Well, what is it you're thinking this time? I'm thinking about that cave. In olden time, our ancestors used to go in there and go out there. And I think I'll try and follow in their footsteps. So he went in at one end and out at the other end several times. Then he said to the lion, Simba, old fellow, let's see you try to do that. And the lion went into the cave, but he stuck fast and could go neither forward nor back out. And in a moment, Kititi was on Simba's back and began eating him. After some time, the lion cried, Oh, brother, be impartial. Come and eat some of the front part of me. But the rabbit replied, Indeed, I can't come to the front. I'm ashamed to look you in the face. So having eaten all that he was able to, he left the lion there and went and became the sole owner of the farm and its crops. Good old rabbit, huh? Always up to the same antics, no matter where we find him. That's always up to the same yep, antics. That had the same kind of rhythm and, and interplay as bear, uh, the Br'er Rabbit stories. Mm-hmm, Don't mm-hmm. throw me into the bush because I could never get out of there. And this, this one is, oh, I was just thinking. I was just thinking. And it was unusual that the hyena, who's usually the scavenger, is the one that's eaten first. Right, right. And that, that's, that's an interesting version that I find with a lot of these stories because, you know, the lion, the, at other times it's the leopard or the jackal. These are all, you know, master predators, you know, will, will take advantage of any situation. But then they all get outsmarted by the tortoise or the, or the, the, the rabbit, in this case, or the hare. Um, it's definitely something there about, you know, it's not always about how powerful you are or how able you are to, to over, overcome others, you know, but it's definitely a bit reassuring to see that the, the rabbit, you know, maintains character across, across time and, and place. Definitely reassuring there. So this wraps up our exploration of folk tales from Zanzibar today. This this was nice. I I think we will come back to these because I find the the human stories really quite interesting. And there are a few. There's at least one other that I'm curious about. This is the story of Goso the teacher. Um, so I think maybe next Wednesday or Wednesday after next, if we don't have a guest, because I'm hoping to have a guest next Wednesday. Um, we might come back here and maybe read Goso the Teacher and Ka Jechoni, the boy hunter. And then maybe a couple more animal stories from here. And we'll be done with Folktales from Zanzibar. This was this was pretty neat. And if you want to read these stories, they're not very long. Um, the book is available for free on Internet Archive. And I have the link um, in in here that you can click onto and go take a look at. Um, all right. So, any final thoughts today before we wrap up for the day? Uh, 
if not, then I will see you all on Friday. We're going back to intimate folk tales from the African continent. It was really fun um, reading the Fulani stories and poems and proverbs last time. So we are not going to be with the Fulani on Friday. I still have to think about where we are going to be, but we are sure it's going to be fun. So looking forward to seeing you then. In the meantime, uh, thank you for spending time with me today and hope you have a great rest of your week, everyone. Thank you, Lex. Thank you, Ivan. Thank you, Sonia. Thank you, Seola, and everybody else listening in. Thank you all so much. Bye.
If you'd like to participate in these discussions, please follow Mythological Africans on Twitter at Mythic Africans and set a reminder for Friday evenings at 5 p.m.